Hey there, thanks for tapping over. You know, there are certain people in this world who seemingly defy what's possible through their accomplishments. Overcoming odds stacked against them, reaching for a goal, you name it. The subtle truth is in seeing only their accomplishments or taking stock of their odds masks all the daily nail-biting, scratching and clawing hard work it took to get there. All the sacrifices, nights without sleep, missed events, strain on their life. Not everyone can achieve the same levels of heights, but we all, all of us, can do hard things. What that hard thing is will uniquely be our own, and finding out what that is is for each of us to do, and will be worth every moment of fighting tooth and claw to get there. This episode is with an individual who's as honest as he is inspiring. You're going to hear about working construction while delivering pizzas, all while simultaneously serving in the Marine Corps, just to achieve his goal and vision of becoming a farmer. A goal he's not only achieved while chasing a balloon payment on a mortgage, but is rapidly growing and succeeding with seemingly year over year. Tom Bennett is owner and operator of Bennett Farms in Michiana, the lovely strip of land between the border of Indiana and Michigan. Not only was his journey to get where he is filled with grit and determination, but the work he's doing now is important more than just to him, but all of us. See, Tom is practicing regenerative agriculture, taking a stripped down 20 acres of land that started out how most of my beloved Midwest is, blacktop, and raped over for years and years with a steady diet of rotating corn, chemicals, and soybean over and over again. He started with that blacktop, and now it looks like it does. Lush grassland with ponds stocked with fish he didn't put there, birds migrating through, and of course, his happy hogs and chickens. All of which saved the livestock gradually appeared over time by him just getting out of nature's way. One of the many things I just like about the way we talk about the problems we're faced with is the dual sense of defeatism that we're powerless to the moment, while also being the only force capable of stopping it. Take climate change. The story that's going around is that we must stop affecting the planet without saying what agency can be done. Well, dear listener, regenerative agriculture is one such agency we can take. An agency to become better stewards of the land, not thieves. Cultivating an ecosystem, not extracting and pumping. We'll never reach some point of perfection in our impact on the climate or fuck all of anything. So let's not make some whack idea of a utopia get in their way of steadily improving. We all can't grind away to bet on a farm, but we can choose where we buy from. Some of us choose not to eat meat for the suffering or the impact on the ecosystem, let alone the animals themselves. A position I can respect, and until recently I held. Another truth, though, is if you don't know directly who grew what you're eating, you're probably blind to the suffering that went in. From industrial broccoli to packaged soy, organic or not, 
They're impacting and stealing from the only planet we got. This is one part of why I appreciate Tom's farm. And what drew me to reach out is how upfront he is with the conditions on it. Hell, I encourage you to tap over to his website where you can see his hogs running around in a field. Something that's not even legal to do if it was an industrial farm. Thanks to agricultural gag laws, filming, documenting, or even speaking about the horrid conditions at, say, industrial hog farms, is strictly prohibited with jail and fines. That isn't just the meat facilities, which are horrific and drove me away from eating flesh myself, but processing plants and row cropping organic, which, by the way, organic doesn't mean regenerative. In fact, if it's spot in the store, it probably isn't. We can trade pork for tofu, but we'll need a whole lot more than Tom's 20 acres to feed the same amount of souls. We all should decide for ourselves what we choose to consume and choose to ignore. But ignore it or not, the truth finds a way. And in my book, what we should work a lot harder to bring about in the world is one where we invest in leaving everything better off each year than borrow from our kids to get a bigger crop now. Because most vegans and meat lovers are like, have that latter part in common. We're all stealing from our future. We all can't afford to shift to small batch at once, nor would we have the supply to do so. But we can get there through a simple method, awareness. Awareness in where we get our food, what goes into making it, having conversations with others, and steadily learning and steadily altering our habits to be more in line with that thriving future I keep talking about this season. We can't all get there at once, nor would it be sustainable if we did. But if we just start and try, we can get there eventually. Thank you, Tom, for coming on, and thank you for listening. And with that, my interview with Tom Bennett, owner of Bennett Farms, where he explains regenerative agriculture, his journey to starting it, how regenerative ag needs less input compared to factory farming, and also less overhead meaning a less barrier to entry. He also talks about leasing land to farm on versus buying it, how fast the land will quickly rewild if we allow it to, and a whole lot of inspiring anecdotes between. Quick note, we unfortunately had to cut this abruptly short. Despite Tom living not very far from me, we're in different time zones and the lapse made for a sudden end. No worries, I'm sure I'll have him back on again soon. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode wherever it finds you on our beautiful, restoring planet. Real quick before the episode begins, if you like what you hear, please tap that follow or subscribe button. You also can find this episode, all episodes in the series, or check out our daily minute podcast by visiting us at bandwidth.productions. opportunity to make that little countdown delightful instead of it just being like nothing anyways 
Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Stoked to talk. Um, would you introduce yourself? I'm going to ask you a question that I think you know is coming, and then we're going to dive into it. Yeah, Tom Bennett with Bennett Farms. Um, was a Marine Corps veteran from 2001 to 2010 when I got out of high school. And uh, before, uh, you know, when I was getting towards the end of getting out, I, I was thinking a lot about getting into farming and, and whatnot. So started looking towards that and then started farming in uh, probably 2012, a couple years after I got out, regenerative uh, pasture-based non-GMO pork and poultry. And uh, we sell direct to consumer at a pretty decent size for a small farm. Um, and we're able to make a full-time career out of it and, and do that for a living. So excited yeah congrats that's a huge accomplishment especially it's been 10 years now right it's yeah i guess it would be yeah in the first few years so from 2012 to 2016 we were farming but it was a much smaller scale like more of a you know hobby farm in 2016 is when we really made the switch to to go all in and and uh try and make a a full-time thing out of it. And in 2018, I was able to leave my off-farm uh, career to pursue this full-time. So it was a little bit of a, you know, it wasn't overnight, but it was a steady, you know, path. Yeah. the uh, There's a, a phrase that I first uh, used when it came to Pokemon Go blowing up. And it's uh, yeah. what you don't notice in an overnight success is 10 years of solidarity and dedication. Um, so yeah, it's it's not nothing. Few things that are good and worthwhile are ever overnight success, but still, congrats! It's huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you. So, uh, okay, question aside, and then we're gonna get into diving more into that. Is what do you like to do to make you that makes you happy? Um, I enjoy checking things off my list, accomplishing tasks. You know, <laughs> like that makes me happy. Like it, you know, some people's idea of happiness is a beach with a cold drink. My idea of happiness is, you know, standing back at the end of the day of of building a pole barn and looking at it and saying, you know, I did that. It's funny because when I when I accomplish like big tasks that I've had in mind for a while or even smaller tasks, sometimes I'll spend way too much time when I'm done just sitting there staring at it. Like that's my moment of happiness, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the the pursuit of accomplishing things makes me happy. Yeah. The pursuit. I like that a lot. It's very, uh, I, I bring this up a lot, but it's very John Dewey. If you've ever heard of him, he's like chronicled no, as no. like the American philosopher um, from like the twenties to the forties is probably when he was most active. But uh, his whole thing is about how habit habit, like both makes and destroys anything. So you, your habits are both what define you and destroy you. And one of the things he talks about is to just have the most joy in the process of whatever you're trying to habituate. Um, and that's actually where you, bliss I was, I would, I'm using the word from like Zen, but bliss comes in of that kind of like tranquility in the moment of like, oh, wow, I can soak this in and, and be able to see this all for that it is and take a moment. Yeah, that's, I'll have to look into him. That sounds great. Yeah. I, I definitely enjoy the process more than, you know, sometimes when you get the end and, and you're done with the journey, it's, you're kind of like, you know, you find out you enjoyed the journey more than the destination. So yeah, I just try and stay in the journey and, well, you know, we're never done with what we do. And, you know, um, so that's what makes it fun. I think that's actually the healthiest way to think about living in anything, because if you end up getting obsessed with the goal, it's going to end up being hollow. And then I think our 
animal programming takes in and that's when people will fall on devices or other things because they're just like what i thought this was supposed to be it i thought i was supposed to be happy here like i did it you know yeah. like i have a I friend always, of mine who uh yeah, I always, oh go ahead i was say yeah i always tell my kids you know they they I, when they're i can't wait for for vacation or i can't wait for you know this or i can't wait for christmas it's like enjoy that i can't wait moment because the anticipation of something is almost always better than the actual, you know, receiving it or, or doing it. So, so live in that moment. Don't wish today and tomorrow away so you can get to it. Enjoy the looking forward to it, you know? Yeah, it, totally. Cause then it's just the day after Christmas and you're like, well now what do I do? I'm bored. There's nothing else to rip open. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I like that a lot. Um, cool. So, uh, I, I'm going to start off with asking you like a broad question, um, which is, What's the main difference between what you do and conventional farming? The main difference is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of differences. Um, the, the practices, obviously, um, you know, what we're doing with regenerative agriculture is we're making the land better than we found it. So, you know, with conventional farming, it strips everything out of the land you're basically raping the soil and the environment you know and, and um to produce a product and then you have to put inputs back in at a high cost you know to produce a product the next year um so that's your conventional farming method sustainable farming is keeping the status quo year after year so you're not making it worse you're not really improving it but you're allowing it to happen again the next year so kind of maintaining the level that it's at um you know, going forward. And then regenerative, which is what we do, is we're actually, you know, every year our soil and our ground and, and, and everything gets better um, over time for the environment. So we're, we're adding to it instead of taking away from it. So that's one of the things that make what we do unique. Um, obviously with the pork uh, and chicken, we're doing it all outside. We don't have any barns to speak of for the animals. Um, the the porks year round chickens are, uh, you know, summertime thing, but, you know, so we got that from the animal husbandry aspect is, is much different, um, with higher quality meat, which is produced out of that too. Cause the animals are, you know, exercising more. That's probably one of the biggest things. And then foraging for, uh, roots and tubers and, you know, vegetation and, and things like that. So that adds some, some different qualities to the meat. Um, and then, most farmers are not, you know, salesmen. Like with us, one of the biggest differences is probably that we sell every single pound of meat we produce individually, you know, to cut to directly to the customer as to where a conventional, say, pork farm, they're 99% of the time, they're just marketing that to, you know, a, a big contractor or, you know, they don't even own the pigs. They just own the building and the, and the hog company pays them a rent per per slot. Yeah. So a lot of it's contract feeding. So the farmer owns the pig barn that he built for a million dollars that holds 5,000, you know, pigs and then Cargill or Swift or, you know, Tyson, they come in and they pay that guy X amount of dollars per pig space, you know, and, and he gets a bonus if he does a better job, you know, on, on the end result, but he doesn't own the pigs. He doesn't own the feed, you know, none of that. So he's just kind of like, uh, getting paid for his labor and, there's, you know, their end goal with that and profitability is like, once I get this building paid off, I'm going to start making money. <laughs> you know, you know it, it doesn't really work out that well. Um, 
So for an example, when I first wanted to get into farming, I just wanted to farm. Like I wasn't really sure, you know, if it was going to be regenerative or more conventional. Um, and I had looked at becoming an organic uh, chicken farm grower for one of the local, uh, you know, uh, integrated chicken feeders in our region. And I uh, went as far as getting the contract from them and reviewing the contract. And basically, you know, it was just next step was to sign on the line to start this deal to, you know, put up a couple chicken houses, which cost about 250000 a piece. And, but the thing is, is once you look into that, you'll realize that even if I did everything the best that I could do, when I was like top producer, everything went right. It wasn't a cold winter, so I didn't use that much propane. All this stuff I was going to make maybe, if I'm lucky, $7,000 a year per chicken house. So I've got to put out a half a million dollars of my own money on a loan, you know, to, to make 14 grand. Like, that's crazy. Like, I can sell $14,000 worth of meat in one weekend at a farm, you know, at our 14 farmers markets and with Chicago. You know, you can do a third of that in Chicago alone just at one market. So it, from an economic standpoint, it absolutely made no sense for me to try and to do that. So, um there's a lot of big differences. Uh, you know, the way we sell our product, though, is probably one of the biggest. That's fascinating. Um, so I do consulting. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I've actually ever told you I do. I do like software development and uh, big name consulting. For I've, I've worked with a lot of, uh, I've actually, I can't say who, but I've worked with one of the largest uh, global ag companies on like an mm -hmm. international project. Um, so, and I also used to live with my grandparents uh, at a farm in, uh, they didn't farm, but it was surrounded by farms in uh, Morris, Illinois. So I've been quite like aware of both the living next to the farmers and understanding what their like uh, situation is with debt and uh, equipment and kind of like the the debt spiral that they're all in. But I've never heard that before, which yeah. um, I have a friend who I've also talked with on the show uh, who works at the Cato Institute. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about was the death of the family farm. Um, and he was like making the case that we should get rid of the the. Um, the sugar cartel because um it's it's incentivizing only corporate ag but i've never heard the on the ground perspective that you just gave of you know modern poultry farmers don't actually even own the oh, hogs yeah. or all that yeah and their their goal is you know eventually in 15 years hopefully this building will pay off and then i start making money because then you don't have those those building payments every month and then you would become relatively you know profitable but you never get there because by the time 15 years is up, Tyson's going to come in and tell you, you need to upgrade your fans and your ventilation and we're changing buildings and your building gets old and it's not as competitive as the ones they just put up down the road from you. And you're competing against those guys for production, you know, numbers. And so you, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's an arms I race, it. right? It's, yeah. it's, it's an arms race. And, and when yeah. you're using, cause like all of this is like the Norman Borlov kind of uh, way of farming to the exponent, right? Where it's, mm -hmm. Let's just use as much chemical and modified agriculture that we can to get into these places to get more, you know, production per per uh, dollar, if you will. And you're going to always be chasing that. So I can see under yeah. I can see how you're constantly chasing the next innovation in order to squeeze out margins because that's what they play with when they're, you know, having a, a much larger pool of capital, if you will. Yeah, and if you're a young farmer like looking to get into it. I mean, if, unless you're coming from a family that's been farming for six generations and they've got thousands of acres yes. of land to give you, then, okay, you know, you might have something there to work with. But if you don't come from a farming family, 
like there's really almost it's impossible to get in. like you got to start with a billion to make a million you know <laughs> like, like it's it's the margins are small a lot of people you know they it's very rare to find a farmer that doesn't have another off-farm job you know most of the, even those big guys a lot of them that you see out there harvesting corn they all work at you know the electric company during the rest of the year or you know it's um so yeah this is one way you can get into farming without being a millionaire to start with so that's interesting yeah i know somebody actually who uh had to buy his family farm from after mm -hmm. his dad passed away and he was actually working at nipsco and uh he, he ended up quitting the farm and now works full-time at nipsco so i actually yeah. know that exact scenario yeah i mean and even property taxes and stuff like you buy your family's farm like most people can't afford the property tax that would be, or, you know, set the, when that, when that farmland change hands, you know, every time it, the government gets a cut on, you know, tax time. So, you know, most people can't even pay property taxes on that much yeah. land. So, or inheritance tax too, depending yeah, on how large inheritance the, tax. That's, yeah. Uh, also known as the death tax, depending on how, which aisle you're on. Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. Um, how did you, so, well, one quick question. And then I want to ask this question. Uh, so do your hogs not sleep in a barn they sleep outside no. yeah yeah so they're acclimatized to it for the most part we use we use uh usually more hardy breeds of hogs that have better bloodlines like suited for it instead of using like land race and, and stuff like that 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 are you know typically your confinement hogs we'll use you know duroc or so a lot of crosses where we got you know uh, old spots and and tameworth and we use hamps and yorks sometimes, but a lot of times they're part of a cross. So we got some mangalista boars that we breed in with more leaner pigs and it gives them a more hardy, um, you know, ability for the weather. But yeah, they're fine. It's kind of like, you know, when it slowly weather changes from the summer to the fall, they adjust and they've got inches of back fat. I mean, they're kind of insulated like a walrus, you know, so they're, yeah, they're fine. They, they love the cold. So they would rather be cold than hot. So yeah, they have, imagine. yeah. And they have huts like metal Quonset huts that we can move around the pastures and, um, and they'll get in there to stay dry. But yeah. Yeah. I would imagine they're totally cool with it. Cause we forget that they don't, they're not used to having enclosures. <laughs> Those big people that don't ever want to bundle up. Right. Yeah. They, they, uh, they have insulation. Um, mm -hmm. so how did you get started from, buying i guess what was your journey of buying the land and then how did you actually get it to be able to habituate uh, whatever you're starting with if it was hogs or chickens and then kind mm -hmm. of get it to where it is now yeah so um i while i was in the marines i came home on leave and i think it was 2005 or between 2005 2007 it was probably 2005 um because i knew i was i was going to be getting out you know in a handful of years and and uh i came home and i bought land um on a balloon note with one of the local banks that would just finance like straight land because a lot of financial companies they don't want to finance just empty land like they need a house on it and it was just i bought a um a portion of a farm from a farmer that was retiring it was a corn and soybean conventional field um bought it it had a five-year balloon note on it so interest rate was relatively good but the 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 trick is you got to pay that off within five years because um, it's, you know, the balloon. So uh, in the Marines, I was stateside for, you know, the last five years of my four or five years of my contracts. So I worked uh, side jobs as well. So I would go to the Marines from, you know, five in the morning until 
three in the afternoon, sometimes four in the afternoon. And then from there, I would change clothes in my car, drive straight to the pizza place and deliver pizzas until midnight, almost, you know, five days a week. And then on the weekends, I would work construction, um, remodeling kitchens and stuff. So I just pretty much worked three jobs, essentially, like 120 hours a week for three years and paid that land off in full. How do you not have more gray hair? I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know if people ask me that, but yeah. Anyways, keep doing it. Sorry. Yeah, so I pretty much took a couple years off my life that way. Um, it doesn't look like I, it. You look, yeah, you look younger than you, you oh, imagine too, how young, I know your age. Imagine how young I would look if I didn't do that, right? Yeah. Maybe but, no, you didn't. Sorry. Yeah. People, I, you know, and sometimes I'll see comments and stuff like on some of our like social media posts. People are like, oh, yeah, it must be nice to be a farmer. Not all of us have like daddy didn't give us a farm. It's like, dude, whatever. <laughs> like I, I earned this. You know what I mean? Like I, there, everyone wants to make excuses for themselves, like why this isn't possible. And it's bullshit. Like, you know, you can do it. You're just giving yourself excuses not to because it's too hard. Like anybody can do this, but you're going to have to sacrifice a lot, like be it time, time with your family. You know, I, I skipped dinners with my grandma in the months before she died when my family was going out to dinner because I had to work in the, the, you know, like there was, I gave up a lot to have what I had. Like it's so... You know, it's, um, you can do it, but it, it takes a lot. So discipline, it takes yeah. an incredible lot of, of self-discipline, which is probably the hardest thing to have. Yeah. Okay. So you're working three jobs and are you saving up to pay off that land? Is that what you're doing? I was just pretty, yeah, we weren't really saving it. We were just every month I was paying it straight to the mortgage company with the land to pay it off. So, um, yeah, so we got it paid off within, you know, a few years. And then, um, so I owned the land. How much land was that? That was 20 acres at the time. It was, um, so it was like $110,000. And, you know, I was 20, how old would I have been? I would have been in 2000, I would have been 22 or 23. I think I'd have been 20 in 2002. I have to do the math on that. I was born in 82. How old would I have been in 2005? 23, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was 23 years old at the time. Already had three kids, married. Oh um, we, we owned a house in South Carolina. And um, yeah, so we had a lot going on. I was, I had, I had done more by the time I was 20 years old than most people did by the time they were 30, you know, just because, but it, it didn't make for like the greatest of marriage life and stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I, I, in full disclosure, I am divorced now from my first wife. So, um, you know, I, I burned that candle hard and, and long and, um, yeah, it's just, it, you know, comes at, at a cost to other relationships in your life. But anyways, that's how I got the land long story short. Um, and then, uh, once I got out of the Marines, I got a job with Gordon, well, with a food service company. Let's put it. I got a job with a food service company as a sales service rep, um, basically doing what my dad had done for 20 years while I was a kid uh, and good company, good pay. Um, and I built a, a house on that land and then, um, you know, started building up a little bit of infrastructure for future farming. And then, you know, was able to, after, you know, would have been, you know, half a decade or a little bit more than that at Gordon's, I was able to quit and, farm full-time wow 
what a grind. Um, yeah. What did you have to do? I guess, how long into that did you start putting animals on it? And what did you have to do to, because I would imagine there has some, this is actually something I think about a lot. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you're saying. Cause you know, I, uh, when I make my billions off of a media company, I'm, this is what you're doing is planning what I would like to do full time. To be perfectly honest, I would rather uh, not look at screens. Uh, I would. It's yeah. just so funny. Like my fan, like people who get to know me, they start realizing that I'm almost more of a luddite than somebody who works in like AI. Because like I actually would rather never look at a screen. Um, but it's uh, funny you think that. I want to add one comment to that while we're thinking about it. You would think to be, you know, if you want a hobby farm, that's fine. You'd never have to look at screens. But if you want to sell meat to the consumers, like direct to market, you're gonna spend a lot of time in front of this computer. You know, like last, I probably spent four hours yesterday making TikToks and reels. Like you know, to like just to keep our name out there and relevant, you know, make people laugh. So there's a lot of the marketing side of this that most farmers don't want to do and they don't want to deal with. They just want to play in the dirt and do the animals, you know, and that's what makes them tick. But you've, you're going to spend, you know, if you're a direct to consumer farm, 70% of your time with electronics, like, you know, that's fascinating dealing with stuff. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Well, thank you for telling me that because I have to figure out another challenge because I don't like marketing. <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of it. I can't think like yeah. that. I just I don't. I don't give a shit. Um, right. But what, okay, so what did you do though to transition the land? Because if it's conventional farming, um, that's the topsoil soil. I'm imagining mm-hmm. is pretty much eroded. Like I don't know if there's like Roundup or other yeah. chemicals in there you got to worry about. Um, so what did you do to transition the land, and then how quickly could you get animals on it? So the first couple of years we were here, I actually, after, well, the first, after I bought the land, so in 2005 when I bought the land, but I was still living in South Carolina because I didn't get out of the Marines, like I said, until 2010. Actually, it was 2000, um, 2008, I left active duty. That was like my end of contract. And I came home to Michiana and I got a call like a week later from the reserve unit in South Bend. They were, they were like, hey, Sergeant Bennett, we just seen you got out of active duty and you're in the area. We need someone to run like the armory in South Bend. Like it's messed up. Like, no, we haven't had an armor in a while. You know, would you come join the reserves unit with us? And I'm like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm done. Like I got three kids. I had just went through a divorce, you know, or was I think going through, I, I was, I was like, no, I can't do that. You know? And they're like, well, it's not an obligated service. So you can check out whenever you want. I'm like, really like the marines you just gonna let me say like peace out and like leave like when i'm when i want to and they're like yeah you've already done enough time that you can do that so i joined the south bend reserve unit for the final two years so i was actually around home for that last two years in the marines and it was more like part-time um but on the land when i bought it in 2005 i let conventional farmers continue to rent it from me and farm it um, just so it covered the cost and it didn't grow up and all turn into trees, you know, in the next five years while I was gone, I kind of wanted to keep it clear. So they continued to run corn and soybean on it for all the way up until probably close to 2010. Then it rested for a couple years, um, didn't grow anything, just kind of let nature take its course, didn't plant any seeds, didn't plant any, nothing, just kind of let it do what it did and it's what amazing it like um it looked like a burnout cornfield with you know it was tilled there was corn trash in it when you started and um you can go to uh, our website and see the front 
you know, just the, the homepage on our website is like a drone video clip of like the front portion of our land, but that's what it turned into. Um, but yeah, so it's all native species here. We didn't plant any vegetation. It's just what grows best naturally grew best naturally, you know, here. So, you know, birds and everything, seed stuff. It's funny. We dug ponds um, around the property, never put any fish in them. And we've got thousands of fish, like probably 15 different species. Like we didn't do any of that. Like that's, you know, I asked my grandpa, uh, how does this happen? And he's like, oh, I think, you know, birds, geese bring them in eggs on their feet or whatever. Like, it's crazy. Like nature finds a way if you just stop messing with it. Um, so yeah, the, we, the land rested for a few years. Um, when we started farming, you know, in 2012, it was real small. I mean, we're talking about like just feeding pork from my family and, you know, maybe your typical backyard hobby farm, basically. Like, you know, we had egg laying chickens, we did some meat birds, but it wasn't anything serious. Just, you know, just figuring things out and kind of having fun with it. And then as demand grew for our meats, we kind of grew organically over the next few years to where, you know, I kind of said to myself like, wow, like this could be a real like legit job. You know, I could do this full time. If I just put, if I put the energy into this that I put into my day job, like there's no way I couldn't be successful. Like, and, and I was, frankly, I was tired of working. I'm a really good employee to have, you know, if, and, I was tired, but I was tired of working to make other people rich, you know, like I just wanted to do my own thing. Like I just, um, I know that so thought. yeah, I want, I wanted to hire me to work for myself, you know, and I felt like that was a better deal. And if I bet on myself, I can't lose because I I'm a proven commodity and like, you know, I, everything I want to do, I accomplish it. So I really, I mean, and maybe that's a little bit of, you know, ego or, hubris or whatever the right term might be for it but you know i have i honestly felt like it, and it, that was with anything in life i feel like if i would have wanted to have been a doctor at that point in my life i could have been a doctor if i would have wanted to study that hard for that long and spend that much money and go to that much school like i honestly did feel like anything was possible but i wanted to farm that's what i chose and i wasn't afraid of failing um because i knew that i'm the only one who controls if i fail or succeed so it really wasn't any risk in it from that standpoint but kind of a long-winded answer but the, the land um so you know it was steady the land kind of healed itself over the years of rest and and small amounts of animals on it and um and we came all the way to where uh 2021 so just like a year ago we were awarded um conservation farm of the year up here in michigan Congrats. The state of Michigan's, yeah, um, conservation. They have a meat program, which is like Michigan Environmental Assurance Program. And so they, you know, they come out and, and do um, farm inspections for like water runoff, nutrient management. They do water testing. It's it's to protect the environment, basically, is what that is. And uh, yeah, so we won their highest award um, in 2021. Congrats. That's amazing. Yep. What a journey. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I love what you said that if I bet on myself, I can't lose. Like it could be hubris or ego and all that stuff, but I, I think that's only an issue if you don't allow the space that you may be wrong, or yeah. you might you might have a, a blind spot. But what I really love about your story is how much self discipline you did to just hammer the steel and strengthen yourself to be able to go out and actually do this. Because that's I think something that's really lacking in our times. Like I say this all too often. I literally think about this every day, but. Um, a friend of mine who's been on the show, historian uh, Felipe Fernandez Armesto, uh, who's actually out of Notre Dame, 
um, he said comfort is the enemy of well-being. And I feel like today our society and our lifestyle and everything in, in the States is just around like what dopamine hit can I get right now? Um, mm-hmm. And in doing that, you, you end up robbing yourself of the know-how of your limits. You know, it's kind of like that Clayton Eastwood, like a man's got to know his limitations. And you learned yours by learning by working three jobs. And Well, and it's the I, I honestly want to credit a lot of that to the Marine Corps. I mean, maybe I was born that way a little bit. But so the Marines, you know, they're kind of a cocky branch of the military. They have a reputation. <laughs> And, uh, but it did, you know, so I was brainwashed for years that like I could conquer the world with five guys, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I, I truly believe that like to the point to where a funny story is my, um, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, I think it was 2018, we're sitting around talking about this marathon they were going to run. So we were at a family get together. They're like, yeah, we've been training for two years you know, or a year or whatever it was. I'm like, marathon, like, why in God's name would you run unless a bear was chasing you? Like, I ain't ran a day in my life since I left the Marines. In the Marines, you know, I used to run 10, 12 miles. That was about the extent of it. I'd never went past that. Um, and most of the runs were like five-mile runs. But since I was the leader of the group, when I got done, I had to run back to the last guy and run him through. So I ended up running a lot more than most. Anyways, uh, they were talking about running a marathon in India. And I'm like, man, that'd be fun. Like, I was like, I don't. I was like, I think I could do that. And they were like, what? Like, you haven't even trained. I was like, when is it? They're like, oh, it's in a few months. You know, I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So my wife was laughing at me. She's like, you can't do that. You know, I'm like, bullshit. I can do anything. You know, Tom Bennett. And uh, and so I, I didn't run. I think I went and ran with her brother one day on like a two-mile run with him because he was running like a 19-minute pace or something. So anyways, I went and ran with him one time before the marathon. That was it. Went out for Mexican food the night before we went to Indy. Like I was just, you know, I had one plan and that was, I knew I was going to need some bread like about halfway through the race. Cause I know my blood sugar gets low when I work real hard around the farm. Like I start shaking, you know, I like, I got to get some, some fuel in me. So I had her meet me like halfway with a loaf of bread, but yeah, I ran that marathon and finished in like three hours and 59 minutes. My, my only goal was to not walk, you know, that was my goal, but I stayed with her brother the whole time until we got to like mile 18 and I was like, he was slowing down. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't short step like this. Like I'm going to, you know, I need to keep my stride. So I left him there and, and finished. But yeah, that was pretty cool. And like, again, you know, everybody around me that was like hating and doubting, like, you know, people train for these things. And I was just in my mind, I knew that I could do it, you know? So, and that's all it was, was mind over body, you know, one foot in front of the other. And, and so confidence in yourself can accomplish a lot. Like, you know, there's probably a lot of people that could go out and run 26 miles. They just don't believe that they can. So they never try. You know? 100%. I love that so much. No, this is like literally what I, I think and preach about is everything is mind over matter. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's all it is. Like we're so much more, I, I think there's twofold actually. I, well, I, I think that truth is paradox. So I think we're both more fragile than we think. And I think we're also far stronger than we think. Right. Cause like yeah. a blind spot comes and it could be something emotional or physical that just hits us. And we're like, Oh my God. Like, uh, I almost tore my Achilles tendon and in doing so I had, I had no idea what real pain was. And I've like torched my shoulder before I've like, I've, I've, I've gotten a lot of injuries, but that one thing I was like, Oh my God, I can't walk. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was so yeah. difficult. And I was like instantly aware of like how fragile I am. Uh, but at the same time, in even getting to that point, I didn't realize how much I was pushing through. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, so if I just apply that same 
amount to getting over this. I can do this, right? Um, and I think the same is true for anything. You just need to have a goal, which is, I think, again, something that we we kind of lose. Um, do you know David Goggins by all? By all? Yeah, I um, I read one of his books I think a while back on Audible. So I have an Audible subscription, so I listen to a lot of books on tape. Yeah, hell yeah, I do too. Um, but he his mentality is exactly that. Which is mm-hmm. like, I, I like the person that I, I was an army brat, so I like the way he talks, where he's like, move, motherfucker. Like, that's like, yeah. that's, that's my inner voice, so I like that. Uh, but his mentality is exactly that, which is like, you are so much more capable if you just train and tame your mind and you tame yourself. That's yeah. half the battle. Nothing else is going to be able to shake you. Yeah. Um, okay, so you buy it, you let it rest. What's the first thing you do before you, you order the, do you order hogs or do you order chicken? Um, we started out with laying hens and then pigs, um, and then, and then meat birds, uh, I think was finally the, yeah. So we started with, with chickens and pigs about the same time. So did you have to like change what you like, what was out there in, in the pasture? Did you have to seed anything? Did you have to? No, make- no. Cause we, you know, all the vegetation had grown up. So if anything, I was brush hogging just so the animals could, find their way around, you know? Um, but so we, they don't get a hundred percent of their diet from the pasture. So we did some studies early on and we actually confined a group of pigs in a like dirt lot area, like a, like basically a pen and grew them out, um, through their life cycle. And then we had their siblings, you know, another test set on pasture and I was measuring feed and I haven't done this since 2015 or 16. Would it be since 2015, 16? Um, but when I when I had done the the measurements and weights, then um, we had found that the pigs on pasture were consuming about 30% less feed over their grow out cycle than were the ones that that weren't be, being given access to pasture. Um, so you know they receive a non GMO um, grain ration in all of the pastures, so there'll be like a two ton you know, hog feeder that they can help themselves to whenever they want. So, you know, the, the pasture is more of a treat than like the main part of their diet. Cause see pigs and chickens are omnivores. So they have stomachs like us, they're not ruminants. So they can't be a hundred percent grass fed, you know, either pigs and chickens are, they have, well, pigs particularly have stomachs similar to us um, where you can eat kale. It's great for you. It's good for you. You know, you can eat salads, you can, but if you gave a six-year-old kid nothing but salad, he ain't gonna grow. You know, you're gonna severely affect his growth rate. You know, so they need we, they need higher rates of protein, um, and the protein comes from the the grains. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that. wild hogs. You know, they can make it like down south. Obviously, you see wild hogs. Nobody's feeding them, but they have you know the opportunity to range over thousands of miles, you know, or if they want, and they can go to all the Oak forest when the mast falls and they can go to the city dump and they can, you know, they're, they're eating cat food off porches. Like they're, they're finding food everywhere. Um, and so that's how those wild pigs can live. And it takes a wild, you know, um, hog, it could be six, seven years to reach a reasonable market weight, you know, so as to where, pigs that we use for meat production take you know eight months to a year so that's interesting um yeah yeah, i have cousins down in texas and uh the other thing that is interesting about the wild hogs 
is how much they're decimating all the other wildlife populations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like yeah. you quickly learn that pigs aren't uh, babe the pig. You know, it's sure. like they're vicious. They're super vicious, um, and mm -hmm. they're 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 scary, and they will eat anything. Uh, yeah, another person I was talking to once, they, uh, I don't I don't want to quite say that they're like the granola crunching folks, but they're pretty close to that. Um, and they got chickens, and she was explaining to me how terrified she was that that when she saw the chickens were uh, eating a snake that was in the pen. I was like, yeah. that's what they are. They're pretty. They're pretty well, vicious if, too. The chickens will eat each other. <laughs> yeah if one dies and the other ones are around it they will start eating though yeah they'll consume each other so yeah chickens are they're, they're tough <laughs> yeah little little t-rexes um that's cool that's also really interesting the study that you did um also i didn't know that about the six years uh rearing uh to get to the same market weight so that's probably means yeah. a lot in the i mean wild don't get to the size they could potentially get because right. of predators or uh it's just the the diet. They don't. Most of them don't have access to you know the proper diet to grow. Like you know, and their genetics are slightly different because you know they had a lot of years to develop that way. But yeah, yeah. Plus, selecting for uh, living and thriving in the wild is totally different than selecting for uh, weights so that we can consume yeah, them. It's, for, it's totally for the different. best bacon, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Um, Interesting. Okay. So what's the, the grains that you're, you're feeding them? And you said, so it's about yep. 30, 30% is them grazing. And then the rest of it is, is this feed. Yep. It's so it's a non GMO, uh, locally sourced corn and soy is the pr two primary things in the mix. Um, and then there's, there's other, there's other things in, in the ration as well, like minerals and nutrients, um, vitamins that, you know, are mineral packs that are added to give the hog its full, you know, balance of nutrients that it needs, but it's primarily corn and soy. Um, you know, some people there, I'll get three people. Maybe uh, we, we served 20,000 customers in 2021, um, at farmer's markets. We, we could track that through those point of sales. So that's a pretty easy number to, to follow. Um, and out of those 20,000 people, I might've had a handful that were like, no, we're looking for, you know, soy free. I'm like to get soy free pork. Like that's crazy. Like, I mean, you can do it, but it's really hard because the things that you have to substitute that protein that's in soy for are things that we don't grow around here, you know, or, you know, they try and do it like out in California and stuff, but they've got a truck in, you know, soy for thousands of miles. It, it's really hard to do. Long story short, you can either... I'm trying to remember how this was worded. It was in, I'm a member of American Pasture Poultry Producers Association, and they had done a nice article on it as far as like people wanting soy free. Well, if you want soy free, it's no longer going to be local, your feed source. Like, or if you want, you know, different regions of the country have different things that make their area special to a certain type of feed. And we don't have all the ingredients for a balanced feed ration here to make that soy free like it's if we did it we would have to you know source ingredients from a thousand miles away or two thousand miles away to to bring in to replace it so yeah that's basically where we're at with that interesting yeah are you familiar with mark shepherd at all uh, yeah i have i don't think i've read any of his books but i've heard his name yep. yeah uh the two books i've read of his are uh i think it's called uh restorative agriculture i think or restorative yeah i think it's what it is because the regenerative ag is like the term, mm -hmm. but he calls it restoration, restoration agriculture. That's the name of the book. And then the other yeah. one is water for any farm. 
one of the things that's interesting he talks about in, in restoration agriculture is he's like you could at least he he claims that you can do something without that feed but it's going to take decades to get the land to be have enough chestnut trees and walnut trees and oak trees mm -hmm. to be able to have another protein source um, and then yeah. also he talks about like you you have to cycle them through because like hogs in particular um, will rip out roots and just destroy things because mm -hmm. they like find something they like um, so he has like a whole section of like you could do it but this is the way you have to do it and it's you, you have to look at it like the next generation is going to have a chance to use less of it and then the generation after that is going to be able to you know potentially change this isn't something that yeah we'll do but year yeah and that's true um and yeah i would love to have all those fruit you know nut masting trees on my property and but the problem is is that the nuts only fall once a year right. what are you going to do the rest of the year okay and even if you did have enough acreage or you could start it you're gonna yes there's ways to do it with you know um, planting, you know, cover crops that the hogs can eat, but is that scalable? Okay. So he's got his 50 acres of nut trees. He can never grow any more pigs than he can fit on those nut trees or his business is stalled. You know, from an economic standpoint, he's putting handcuffs on himself. If he's going to be, you know, you know, really that idealistic about it. Um, how, you know, how many people are you going to be able to affect change to, you know, so it, it might not be suitable for, you know, changing the way we feed the world, like at least not within the next 20 or 30 years anyhow. So yeah, there are a lot of pie in the sky ideas that, that are practical, that, that could be practical, practical. Um, but, you know, if you want to make a difference, you need to, you need to, to feed as many people as you can as well in a better way, you know? Um, so, and if you want to be profitable, I see a lot of farmers that are just, they're so idealistic in their principle that, you know, they'll get a, they can't, in order for you to be a sustainable farm, you got to be financially sustainable because if you're not, you're going to disappear in three years, just like everybody else that tried it and quit. I see it all the time. Like, you know, people want to quit their day job and farm and they're just so excited about it. Well, in the process of that three years, you're going to go broke. And you won't realize it at first because you're not big enough. You don't realize it until you start scaling up. And then you're going to be like, shit, now I'm taking money from my day job that's supposed to pay my mortgage to pay these farm bills. Like there's going to be major problems because you're going to try and sell your product too cheap because you want to get into the market and gain customers. And if you're not making money anyways, you're not going to be around. And, and like there, so the – our butcher, here's an example of that. Our butcher is humane handling uh, certified processor for our pork. Like we take our pork there um, and uh, and they have a special certification for the killing process, which is really nice and neat. Uh, our farm, we've looked into becoming, you know, humane handling or humanely raised, you know, certified farm. Not a big deal. It wouldn't be that hard for us to do except for a couple things. One of the things is, is that we would have to farrow every single piglet that we raise on our farm. I'm not putting those handcuffs on myself because right now, I mean, we were at a point where we were maybe farrowing, like birthing the piglets of about half of the pigs that we had raised for, you know, sale for meat consumption. Um, and we would get the other half from four or five farms around us, you know, in the Amish community and stuff. We've got some people that we work with on a pretty much set basis. I can call them and get feeder piglets and I get those feeder piglets. It's actually cheaper for me to buy them from them than it is to do them myself. But 
I'm, I don't want that certification because then I can no longer have the option to go buy feeder piglets if I didn't mm-hmm. fairly. You know, I like mm-hmm. I got to be business minded too. And and who's going to really care about that? Like four people, like you know, like they like, you know people they can go to our Instagram, they can go to our website, they can come out to our farm and look around. Like the labels, some people spend way too much time chasing labels. And what you really need to be focusing on is just building relationships with your customers and building trust with them. You know, like I looked into getting project non GMO verified for our labeling, you know, the little, um, uh, there's a little, I'm trying to remember what it was on the packages, but you see it in a lot of stuff in the grocery stores, but that verification would cost me nine grand a year because they have to verify each individual product, not each animal. So every, you know, pork chops, bacon, anyways, it would have been like nine grand, like Nabisco can afford that, but I can't, you know, I mean, I could, but it'd be stupid to do that. You know, now you've got to pay 50 cents more a pound for bacon the whole year, just so I can have that on there. And three people care, you know, so there we're, we're 90% of the way there on a lot of that stuff. But, um, yeah, my, my my wife used to when we were living in San Diego would always talk to the farmers, and she found out how many of them were like not spraying pesticides, using organic, like using regenerative means, but they couldn't afford the certification. Yeah. Um. So they're like, yeah, we we actually just can't advertise it. And the ones that did, their prices were like double or triple because they had to be, especially in yeah. California, which I need need no go any further. Um. Yeah. You 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 were even sounding more and more like John Dewey because John Dewey is one of the founder founders of pragmatism, um, and what you're saying is very pragmatic. Um. And what I would say to, to both like the Mark Shepard and kind of squaring that side with you is I think we need both, right? Like mm-hmm. I think we need, and, and in particular, something I think about is like, how can we think about things that are for a thousand years as opposed to thinking about things in a quarter, which is really what we think about now, right? We think but, about three months. Yeah, I agree. But if you don't make it through that quarter year, forget about the thousand. No, I know. I, we need both, right? Yeah, we need both. Yeah. Yeah. And like what Mark Shepard does is he has small hogs that are pretty much just for him and his family's consumption. And then he, you know, when there is the chestnuts and the uh, acorns, he rents out other people to bring their hogs in to fatten them up and then they go and slaughter them. Right. So like he has like a a means of doing that so that he can have his, you know, uh, crops that he's, you know, making money off of like his chestnuts and his, uh, you know, asparagus or whatever else it is um, and still be able to, to do that, which is to your point though, we need both. And we also need to be thinking about feeding people now because you know, how many more years do we have left in our topsoil and how many more like energy shocks can we get? Cause that's the thing that most folks don't realize is, you know, a couple more dollars a gallon of gas, definitely you feel it, but farmers feel it more because of the, you know, uh, anything from the fertilizers all the way through shipping it, which I think is, but you said is, is one of your major costs now. Yeah, when I have friends I hear complaining about the gas prices in town, I laugh at them. I'm like, dude, I just had $500 of gasoline delivered yesterday. Like, uh, 500 gallons, not dollars. Anyways, I, I'm getting gas bills like once every two for like two grand, and you because you had to spend 70 to fill up your car. It's funny. But, <laughs> it, it's like every time I pay one, they show up with the truck again and fill it. It's like, dang it, can never, <laughs> never get passes. But, um, so, okay, so we can jump to that then. Uh, what have you been feeling with like the inflation shocks? Cause I know we, you and I talked about this in the summer and you were mentioning that like your general cost of production hasn't increased with the exception of, of fuel, which I'm wondering if you can juxtapose that with conventional then. Um, yeah. So our cost of production didn't really increase that much. I mean, the feed did take a jump 
you know, in the last year, but we were able to, to switch feed mills anyways, which we've been wanting to do for a while. And we were able to get that price back down to where we were at, you know, previous. So feed stayed about the same. Um, and then on our butchering for our chicken, um, we actually saved probably 20 to 30 grand this year on that because we switched from a processor we were using in Michigan that they, they didn't, you know, they were USDA, they did chicken, but they didn't love doing chicken. Like they were, they were more excited about the pork and beef because um, chicken's a pain in the butt. Uh, and so they charge the exorbitant prices for their processing. So we drive, you know, a little bit further now, but um, yeah, like I said, we're saving 20 or 30,000 a year on chicken processing. So, um, um, so we didn't really, you know, we, we were able to save a lot of money. So even though like fuel and electric or, you know, all the, everything else on our farm got more expensive, I still came out better than I did the previous year because we found a couple areas to save money. Um, so, yeah. How would that compare to like, if you had a full industrial hog set up where you were doing Tyson and all you were getting, all you really owned was the building. What would that, oh. what would the differences there be? Yeah, they would have their energy costs with the building. I mean, you know, propane, if they're heating it for like young chickens or, you know, whatever. Um, so their energy costs would be substantially higher. They're kind of insulated from the market as far as um, worrying about selling them. You know, it's not their problem. And the feed cost isn't their problem. Tyson drops off the feed. But the, the way they do get caught is that they got to keep animals in that building to get paid, right, from Tyson. So when like COVID hit, you had all these hog farms and stuff, like basically like stuck with all these pigs, you know, and they, or, or not getting in, like there was, there was no processing capacity, you know, that, that all got screwed up. So if a barn's sitting empty and it's not, you know, turning over animals like it's supposed to, the farmer's not getting paid like he's supposed to. And then, you know, he's still got to make those, those notes on that building. So um, that could be an issue for him, but interesting yeah. so they're essentially they're they're they have a steady stream of income that's barely getting them by uh, but they're also more vulnerable to like external shocks like changes in the yeah. market or uh you know black swans like uh covid um, mm -hmm. yeah and i mean even the whole market's very vulnerable to the processing bottleneck i mean for us like on the regenerative side like we can't use the same processors you know tyson owns their own processing plants like we've got to use mom and pop family owned usda processors which some of them are really good you know our processor we go to they can do 900 chickens an hour they it's all they do is chicken five days a week they're really good at it um but if something happened and that place burned down like now i'm going to illinois i mean you've you've got 20 in the country that are usda inspected for poultry that will take small farms typically on average that's what the number that's was it. a couple of years ago yeah 20. 20 out yeah. of 300. Most states don't even have one. Like, so I was going to the only one in Michigan um, for like my first, you know, five, six years. And then my choice after that was either Ohio or Illinois. So the one I go to is technically it's in Ohio. It's right on the other side of the state line down south of Fort Wayne, but it's about three and a half hours. And then my other option is Peoria, Illinois. Um, so and so. Three and a half hours the other direction. Yeah. Which, so I'm right in the middle. But yeah. So. Um, there's a real, you know, that's, if you want to get in, the, if you want to, you know, find a niche for yourself in this, become a, a butcher, USDA butcher. I mean, you'll stay busy. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't love the job. It's kind of, they cold wet all day, but you know, chopping <laughs> up meat, but um, there's a huge need for that. So.
well, yeah, I think you just told me my business opportunity to invest in when I make my billions. That's, uh, that's fascinating though, because I I do know from working in big ag, how vertically integrated they are. Mm -hmm. Like they own everything. Mm -hmm. Um, like, uh, my family is from, uh, my dad's side is from, uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And they, like, some of them will tell me, like, they'll go back and they're like, all of Sioux Falls is just one big giant hog processing plant now. Um, and like, that's where I don't know the number of how many tens of percent, but I know it's more than 50% of most supermarket hog is processed in that city, um, which is crazy. And it's not just Tyson, but it's, you know, like the, or it's like, I think there's like three or four big, um, poultry companies in the U S. Um, and most of them have their processing there. Um, which once again, like external shock, something happens like that's most of our meat production for the States, which is scary. Um, yeah, that's yeah. That's what people should be worried about is the processing capacity. Yeah, that's interesting because we can, you know, presumably the way that you're doing it. How many how many acres do you have? We're on twenty here. That's all we need. We do three hundred hogs and um, seven thousand five hundred chickens, and we did three hundred turkeys this year, but we're doing six hundred of those next year. And okay. but yeah, with moving them, you know, every day on the chickens, every couple weeks on the pigs, the land. You know, we don't touch a single piece of land twice within three months. Like, so, you know, just keep moving them and it heals. And, yeah. So, yeah, so 20 acres, you're serving 21,000 customers. Mm-hmm. And, and we're doing about uh, almost, we're, 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 we're touching right at just under 500,000 in sales a year on 20 acres. Congrats. That's amazing. So that is, there's your scale. So mm-hmm. that's, you can scale that. You just copy and paste. Like that's, yeah. that's something I mean, else. There's a, there's a hundred acres across the street from me. I'm looking at right now. That's owned by a widow. That's been, you know, cash renting it out to conventional farmers. That's going to come up for sale in 15 years. Like guaranteed. You know, I mean, I don't, but I would rather not buy land. I'd rather rent it because you can rent land for, for 50 years for, I mean, you can rent land for what the property taxes would be on it. Okay it's it almost doesn't make sense to buy it unless you're trying to find somewhere to stash your money because you're scared to buy bitcoin or gold you know i mean land's a good a good way to to park some money that you want to take out of the market and and keep it safe um or if you're wanting to you know pass on a legacy to the next generation but it doesn't matter your kids are going to fight over it and then break it up and sell it anyways because do we want this land or do we each want $3 million? You know what I mean? Like they're going to take the money. Cause if they farmed that land for a hundred years, they wouldn't make what the land was worth. If you sold it, that's why all the farms are falling apart. Cause farming doesn't pay enough for what the land is worth anymore. So that's why everybody's selling out. But anyways, yeah. I would rent land because, and I did a podcast about that with barn to door like a month ago. And that was, it was, it was like, getting into farming, you know, what would you tell beginning farmers? And my thing is like, look, don't let the land hold you up. You just need to buy a couple acres, put your home base on it. That's where your office is. Maybe if you've got freezers or your chick brooders, like your main operation center, and then go out around you within, you know, a two minute drive and just start renting parcels. And, and that would be the way I would do it in the future if I had to do it over again. Cause if you had, even if you had a hundred thousand dollars to buy you know one hundred twenty thousand dollars to buy 20 acres where we're at you could that money would be much better used in launching your business forward by buying other things you're going to need like livestock trailer delivery van like there's a lot of stuff that we went without in the early years like i was hauling pigs and like lawnmower trailers with like it was all shoestring like for a long time so you can you can skip some of that but 
That's fascinating. Send me that podcast because I'll put that in the show notes too because that'd oh, be interesting. Okay. Um, also, I, I, just a side note, I love that you uh, said the, the long-term bets are Bitcoin and gold. I uh, love that. Uh, tell me about renting it though. So like, mm-hmm. wh- uh, why is it that somebody would rather rent it out for essentially the property tax? Like what, what is it just because they, they own it long-term and it's essentially writing it off? Yeah, I mean, because basically that's just what they do with this. So typically you'll have a farmer, he farms his land for, you know, his working life and then he wants to retire, but he doesn't want to sell the land because he wants to hand it down to his kids someday, but he's still alive. So what he's going to do is he's going to rent that land out, right, to another farmer down the road who's going to come farm his land. And then that farmer, there's different arrangements that they have, but like when we were renting ours out, that going rate around here, was 60 bucks an acre, maybe 80 if you had good land. An acre per year, okay? That's less Not than much. the property taxes. It's cheap, yeah. And even now, cash rent's high. You know what high is? 150, maybe 200 <laughs> bucks an acre. Maybe 200 if people are getting crazy, all right? Like, it's cheap to rent land, like farmland for farm use. There ain't a lot... You know, and why would someone do that from an economic standpoint? Because, like, all right, you know how people have been talking about Bill Gates is, like, buying, you know, all this farmland. It's been in the in the news. Well, he's just parking his money somewhere. I don't really think he's trying to take over the world like everybody thinks. But he, who knows? But either way, he's going to be renting out all of that land, okay? He ain't going to – Bill's not going to buy a tractor and start farming it himself. The same guys that were farming it last year are probably going to – you know, or it might be some bigger – corporations i think he's partnering with like some bigger because that way he's not going to deal with little farmers in every county you know these mega farms that come in and farm it but he's renting that out to him and it's essentially barely going to cover his property tax but while you're holding the land it's going to grow in value every year so he's hedging inflation yeah yeah so um yeah it's just most people i don't think that aren't farmers don't realize how cheap farmland rents for you know yeah i had no idea um Mm -hmm. What, so is it even for what you're trying to do? Could you rent? Could you rent to be able to have a pasture to, to grow on? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could convert that corn and soybean field across the street in six months. I could be running chickens out there next spring if I need to. I've, I've thought about asking her a couple times anyways, just because, you know, I always it's always like July and they've already planted corn and stuff when I'm like, dang, I should have done it for next year. But yeah, because we're, you know, that ground we would probably seed it with, you know, grasses and forages, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't have any problem running pigs or chickens on that, you know, in a year, even though it's, you know, last year could have received a dose of a herbicide. You know, it's, you got to start making the land better at some point. I'm not going to, you know, require like a five year rest period. Like if you were certified organic, yeah, it would have to be seven years. But, you know, that again goes back to don't put, you know, yourself in a box that you can't, you know, have options. Yeah. Don't let perfect get in the way of progress. Um, So, okay. Well, there's a lot that I want to dive into that. Like, first off, if you do that, you should do that. If you want any more uh, stranger uh, encouraging you. And if you do that, please let me know because I would love to document it. But um, so what would you have? My biggest fear is a subdivision is going to go in. But yeah, hedge that. Jeez. Yeah. 
no, I mean, every time I see that, I, I mean, personally, like once again, when I get my billions, I want to just buy up all of Northern Indiana and turn it back into uh, oak pastures and um, do some type of mixed like hiking recreation and, and what you're doing. Cause I think that's yeah. actually a way you could hedge both of them against each other. If you make it ecotourism plus uh, mm-hmm. farmland. Um, but that's a diatribe. Um, okay. That wasn't asked about the herbicides. So you know, I guess what you're saying is you don't necessarily have to rest it, that you can throw seeds now. Would you just let it go or and have a feedlot out there and just put them out there and let them start working their thing? Or would you throw some seeds down? Yeah, I would. If it was coming straight out of corn, like from the previous year, I would definitely have to broadcast, you know, uh, a pasture mix, at least to get a pasture mix down. So that way the, you know, the chickens or pigs, whatever I'm running out there, at least have a nice, you know, bedding of grass to, to be on and forage on, you know, live on. So I don't want them living in dirt. You know, that's pasture raised chicken. It needs to be moved on grass every day. Like that's the, that's the thing with it. So. Cool. So then would you have to rent if you were presumably to, to do this, would you rent it out and pay upfront for like three years so that you'd be able to. Yeah. You would, yeah. You would want to do a multi-year contract for sure. The longer, the better, you know, if you can get five years or 10 years, do that. But you know, I would, as the farmer, you want to try and get a longer contract. That makes sense. And then the last question on this before I move to something else is, um, is there a lot of farmers retiring? Cause I know that like with baby boomers getting older, that there's a lot of farmland that's going to start coming up for sale in the next couple of years. Yeah, there is. I heard a stat, like something like 60, I, I can't, I would, I would just be bullshit if I actually tried to make up the number, but it was like staggering, like the percentage of, and maybe you could look it up, this, the percentage of farmland that's going to change hands in like the next 20 years. Oh, it's is huge. Like, yeah, it's, it's like huge. almost like all of it. It was like yep. 70% or something is going to be. And so that's crazy. Um, yeah. Quick fact is millennials are the largest inheritors of wealth ever. There's the largest transfer intergenerational health, wealth happening now. Ooh, yeah right yeah well i'm not getting any of it uh, <laughs> Me neither, yeah. where's my my dad's hiding something i doubt yeah. mine are but yeah. uh, other people's are uh um and, and it comes in most of it comes in the form of assets um yeah. like this which which is something that uh i've been since i since i found out about that around like 2015 i've been waiting for that bill to come due which i think it's ever more and the more that the economy comes across uh comes out of comes apart at the seams i think the more likely we're going to start seeing some of that change hands yeah yeah i'm glad that i'm not a younger generation than i am i mean i'm i'm just turned 40 and like i feel so thankful that like you know in my 20s like i was bought a house and like got land. like oh my gosh like i'm looking at what my kids are looking at right now like as far as for their future like houses are ridiculously priced renting's even worse I mean, you can rent a crappy apartment for like almost two grand a month around here now. I mean, it's bad. Like, it's not even a good apartment. You know, it's like, what do you do? And if you if you jump into one of those apartments, how are you going to be able to save enough money to buy someday? It's it doesn't look promising. Um, but well, to give you some faith in the future is, I think that that's going to be a business opportunity to make building better. Like, I think yeah. we're going to be able to start three D printing houses. Um, and doing things that are more mixed use where like you're living on a mixed prairie that's partially yeah. used uh, and things like that. I think it's actually going to be a, a huge opportunity for that. I'm, I'm a big proponent of decentralizing everything. Um, and yeah. I think we can get there. Um, unfortunately is you need incentive to do that. And 
if you look at it from economic terms, that means like pain, suffering, and you know, collapsing of markets in order to be able to have incentive to build or things like that. Hey, we might have to um, pause this because I'm looking at the clock right now, and I just realized I need to. It's eleven, I think seventeen right now. I think I gotta get. I gotta. Oh, move. you're on yeah. Eastern. No shit. Okay, let's stop yeah. here then. That's totally right. fine. You can just pause it and then, um, or you can do an outro right now, real quick, if you need to, if you think you got enough. But I mean, I'm sure. We, hell, I could bullshit with you for two more hours. If you... Hell yeah, dude! I would love to do this again. But we, this is but, enough for for okay. the episode. Sure make something out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, sorry, I didn't realize. I totally forgot you're on Eastern time. Yeah, well, I kept looking at my clock, and I'm like, is that, no, we we have. It's like we've only been talking for 15 minutes. It's all about, right. <laughs> so I didn't really think it. Yeah, all right. So. Well, you go get running. I'll Anyhow, talk to you yep, soon. I better get going. I-